0: broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing. Get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table.
1: Hello and welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host Heidi Keeler coming to you from the great state of Nebraska and we'd like to thank you here at RN Huddle for being patient with our social distancing and recording because we know that sometimes this causes volume changes or hesitations in your listening enjoyment. So once again, thank you for your patience as we continue to bring episodes to you in this time of social distancing. So today, I'm very excited about our episode as we are going to continue our discussion about wound care and all things wounds related. And to help us do that, we have our co-host here, Renee Pollan, who as we've said before, is the nurse who loves all things wounds. And so she has brought together some of her very special colleagues who are all WOCNs and have lots of history in taking care of different types of colostomies and ileostomies. So today is ostomy care. To do this, Cassie Norton, Anne Liff, and Chris Berkey are going to go around and around in this discussion with Renee and talk about what you need to look for in applying different appliances for ostomies. They'll give you some tips and tricks from the wound experts, and then maybe even give you some insight as to what's coming out in the future for ostomy care. So without further ado, Renee, take it away.
2: Hello to our listeners. This is Renee Pauling, co-host of RN Huddle, and I would like to welcome you back to the Nebraska affiliate of the WOCN Society's Ostomy Podcast Series entitled, Let's Take a Walk Through the Ostomy Care Journey. This is the second podcast of this journey to help our nurses throughout Nebraska and beyond who care for patients with ostomies providing resources and education to help improve patient outcomes. I am here today again with my fellow walk nurses, Chris Berkey, Ann Liv, and Cassie Norton. We are going to first discuss how to decipher the different types of ostomies and why that is important for care management and product selection for these patients. All right, so let's jump in. We're gonna talk a little bit about the indications for different types of ostomies or what we call fecal diversion, such as for colostomies and ileostomies. We'll talk a little bit more about eurostomies or ileal conduits in another podcast. We just have so much to talk about here today, but let's kind of take a a quick trip through indications. So for an ostomy, such as clostomy or ileostomy, so we think bowel perforation related to trauma, infections related to diverticulitis or ruptured diverticulum, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, ischemic bowel, bowel obstruction, maybe related to a tumor with colorectal cancer. So with that said, I'm sure this brings up experiences or even emotions for some of you caring for ostomates, whether this was something urgent or temporary or permanent. It's still overwhelming for the patient. So Anne, Chris, or Cassie, what can you share about when you're taking care of a patient with an ileostomy or colostomy? And and how that assessment can be so different with even product selection.
3: Well, I think the one piece of advice I could give people is don't assume that the stoma that you see on a patient's abdomen is a colostomy or an ileostomy. It's really important to try to obtain that surgical summary to see what type of surgical intervention that person had, because management of a colostomy or an ileostomy are different because of the location within that bowel. Even with a colostomy, if it's low uh, within the sigmoid area, can I do irrigation versus somebody that maybe has a transverse where irrigation would not be really indicated versus somebody with an ileostomy, they stool, their effluent, which we call it, is going to be a different consistency. And so uh, you might have some complications, such as for an ileostomy, dehydration, electrolyte imbalance, versus with a colostomy, some issues related to diarrhea or constipation.
2: I think too, when you're saying ileostomy versus colostomy, on location, a good thing to remember is when you're looking at that surgical history as well, if they removed the entire colon, you have to remember okay, that's where a lot of the absorption occurs. So, therefore, an ileostomy is going to be more liquid, it's going to be more enzymatic, it could be more abrasive to the periwound skin. And I know that can be an issue with the leakage if there is an issue. Chris, have you, in the outpatient world, I'm sure you're giving some complex issues surrounding leakage related to ileostomies.
4: Yes. And I agree with Anne. It's, it's really, if at all possible, it's really critical to try to get that surgical report because even, so I got a good example the other day, I had somebody that came in with a, a reported colostomy and technically they did, but they really only had a foot left of their colon. So the majority of their small bowel was reconnected to that foot of colon. So yes, it was a piece of colon brought out to the surface of the skin. So technically it was a colostomy, but the effluent coming out of that colostomy was very much like a small bowel stoma. Mm -hmm. because that foot of of colon is, yes, it's gonna reabsorb some of that fluid and that's why they leave it there because we know that that's a good thing. But at the same time, their effluent is never going to be formed or semi-solid or maybe even very soft because of that. So it is really, really important to try to understand exactly where in the bowel that's coming from, as well as how much of their bowel has been resected. So I also have patients who come in who have an ileostomy, but they've had multiple resections over the years of parts of their small bowel, and, and now... You know, we may have just a small section of ileum, and I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but I guess what I'm trying to say is it is important to understand that piece. So all that being said, I think the best information you get is from the patient or their caregiver, whoever comes in with them, and say, you know, what, what does their effluent look like most of the time? What's normal for them? So is it always on, more on the liquid side, or is it thicker or pastier? And then knowing what they're telling you versus then what you see from that surgical report, you can kind of see, do we have a problem like Ann was alluding to? So if I have an end ileostomy, they've not lost any of their small bowel, but they're real thick and pasty, I'm going to be worried about, do we have somebody that's close to dehydration? What's their their hydration status? What kind of fluids are they taking in? What do their labs look like if I have them available to me that may show that, you know, they're having some dehydration signs or symptoms? Because we know as people get older, sometimes that thirst center is not real accurate and telling us what's going on there. Just some thoughts.
2: Let's talk a little bit about products because I know with our listeners that that can be very overwhelming and... As walk nurses, we know that we may need to change appliances depending on the output. So for instance, if they had a new ileostomy right out of surgery, they're going to have that liquid output, right? And then eventually, so you have a certain product, which we can talk about a little bit here, but then eventually you're going to have to switch up products again, right? Because sometimes it will adapt and not be as liquid, right? So what can we share with our listeners to help with that?
0: Well, it has to do with the extended barrier or the short-time wear barrier. You want a barrier for the more watery stomas, like the ileostomy, to be the more extended wear, to be able to help it last just a little bit longer. And then the other thing is after surgery, usually when they come out out of the hospital, they still may be distended, so their tummy is a little puffy. But when they get home, then that distension goes away, and then... So then sometimes creases or divots are created and where they may have started with a flat cut to fit in the hospital, then they need to move towards a more convex to fit their tummy shape.
2: Yeah. And that's a good point too. Um, They're always, when they're laying flat, all beautifully, no wrinkles or anything like that. So that would be one advice I would want to give to our listeners is. Have them sit up, have them twist and turn, or get out of bed. See where those wrinkles are, because sometimes you need to fill those little uh, valleys, is what I like to say. Those little creases, and you can utilize stoma paste, which we want to say stoma paste is not glue. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so sometimes you can fill that or with some type of ring you can peel apart and put in those divided areas.
4: Barrier barrier spray is not glue either. <laughs> <laughs> Spray wipes are not glue; they do get stick better.
2: Let them dry too before you put the appliance on. Yes. I think one of my big things is just take your time. It, you know, anytime you rush and then it gets the effluent comes out and you get it all wet again. You know, just have towels ready, have everything in front of you ready to go. But
4: and sometimes that's a good point, Renee, because sometimes you know the stoma is active, and a lot of times when somebody leaks or you're trying to battle leaks. They always happen when they're active and you know, they're just kind of Mount Vesuvius, you know, everything's going everywhere. And so I agree with you, have, have Kleenex or you know, it depends on where you're, where you're dealing with this. So I've done home care, I've done outpatient, I've done acute care, but kind of the products are the same there. You know, you just grab your Kleenex or toilet paper and have a trash sack and, and you just kind of start, you know, mopping up until things quiet down. And then, you know, proceed from there, but yes, have kind of everything ready to go so that you're not, oh shoot, I forgot the multiple barrier ring or, oh shoot, I forgot the clip for the clamp or the clamp for the tail on the pouch or, or whatever. So just have all of your products kind of ready to go.
3: I know one thing about is some people wonder about how long does a pouch last? How frequently do you change a pouch? And the WOC had a a consensus conference several years ago in regards to this. And through professional or expert opinion, three to five days is the average wear time of a pouching system. I usually have people change twice a week when they're initially post-op, but kind of use that as a gauge to if they need to change it a little more often. Versus if they can go up to that five days. More often than that, you can really cause some skin damage. And also, some people do get away with uh, going longer, but I always say try to go at least up to that five day take it off so you can inspect your skin, make sure that there's no problems with the skin, let it breathe. That's a good point. And
4: I think um, some of the manufacturers, if people are looking at, you know, if you're not familiar with products, a lot of times you'll pull out the, the information and start reading and some of them will say they can be left on for up to seven days. There's a lot of that information on the internet as well. You know, nowadays with all of the internet access, YouTube videos, oh my goodness. I mean, I have patients that come in and, there's uh, ostomy patients who do podcasts now, uh, just like this one, and or they do YouTube videos and they talk all about their ostomies. And, and not that that information is, is necessarily inaccurate for that person, it might be appropriate for that person, but works for one patient doesn't always work for another. And, and I guess part of the beauty of ostomy care is if it was simple and straightforward and everybody could use the same product, none of us would have a job. Uh, (laughs) Okay. But at the same time, that's kind of the beauty of what we do is trying to figure out, well, what's going to work best for this patient in front of me today. So sometimes if you're in a facility, you may be limited to the products you have available. A lot of facilities have formularies and it's like they carry one product line. They may have limited access to maybe pre-cut products, so when you get into some of the convexity needs, um, sometimes pre-cut convexity is, is more important, so you need a more focused rigid convexity rather than a cut to fit that's going to be a softer convexity, so it can be challenging sometimes, but I know Cassie can speak to, you know, getting samples and supplies and, and things like that, that you kind of have trials for patients to, to use to find the best product for them. Because, like Ann said, it goes back to keeping the skin around the stoma healthy, so that the wafer pouch system sticks and doesn't leak.
2: Yeah, and when you for the listeners that may not know what the convexity is, that's when the you don't have that classic stoma that was constructed. You know, the book, classic book image. And so it's when it's more retracted. And so you need to have some convexity where it kind of pushes the stoma out in order to empty into the pouch rather than underneath and onto the skin. So that's what the convexity is. So it, it's, it's important to just get familiar with the products, read it, read them. Like Chris had said, take out the package insert, you know, does it say extended wear? And maybe that will be more important for what our effluent that is more liquid based. So that's why it's there and you have your formulary, bring in those reps, have them come talk to you a little bit more about their products. That's what they're there for. So bring them into your facility. I did want to mention that when selecting products that a lot can change even depending on whether the procedure to have that ostomy was emergent versus scheduled. And I say that because an emergent situation, you're not necessarily going to have the WCN come in before and, you know, mark them telling the surgeon, this is the best place to put it. Cause there's no creases and not too close to the hip bone or something like that. So the scheduled pre-marking would be ideal, but that's not all the cases. And so uh, I know I've had a patient um, with an emergent case and she's very tiny So there probably wasn't very much place for them to do it, but it was emergent. So, and it ended up being very difficult to pouch. It was right on her hip bone. And so every time she got up walking, it would pop the pouch back off. So, you know, there was accessories and I had to troubleshoot. So I tried multiple products and finally found one that was very flexible, you know, and then also there was how to use belts and, Whatnot, so that it would stay on, especially when she was up ambulating. So I'm sure my walk nurses here know exactly <laughs> how troubleshooting can go.
3: I think it's really important for a pouch to be able to mimic or using that abdominal plane to mirror yeah. what the pouch, how the pouch is going to adhere and shape to that person. And Renee. Flexibility to me is, is real key also, being able to find that you know, flexible system or if you need some convexity and everything to be able to mirror that abdominal plane.
0: I think what happens, what I see quite a bit at the time is when patients come out of the hospital, again, they come out with a flat wafer system. And then when the distension disappears, they have that divot, like I talked about earlier. And so I've been kind of associating it as your stoma is like a cherry sitting in the bottom of a bowl, and your flat wafer is like your plate. And if you put the plate over your bowl, then you have all that space where effluent can, can collect, and then it comes underneath your wafer and then pushes it off. And that's when you get the skin irritation and the skin breakdown. So it's important to find the pouching system, like Anne was saying, the convexity needs to mirror or sit right in as if it's a bowl sitting within a bowl. So that little cherry is sticking out, hopefully in the middle or wherever, but at least it, it's popping out. And I, and I think I had shared that with a nurse recently, the plate and bowl scenario, and that seemed to make a lot of difference for her to say, gosh, whiz, that's why this patient is having such a hard time with the pouching system. It's, it's, because it's just not fitting properly. And that's that's the basis of where we're at is trying to find the right quote unquote set of clothes that are going to work best for
4: your stoma. I think that's a really good point, Cassie. And I think one thing I was going to comment too, and I say this when I lectured to nursing students or, or even you know just at a conference or something, I tell most nurses, because everybody always changes the pouch with the patient laying down in bed. <laughs> so right. like, like Renee said, everybody's belly's nice and flat laying down. And, and as soon as you sit them up, you know, then all the little wrinkles and crinkles and ugly scars, you know, rear their ugly head. And so honestly, I, I can't stress that enough. If you have a patient who is really complicated and nobody can figure out why a pouch doesn't stick. And I see this, especially in long-term care, because a lot of times long-term care, it's, it's the aids or the techs that are doing the, the pouch changes. And so, you know, they're taught, they just have the patient lay down. They just put the pouch on and, and it should be good to go. And so you got to sit that patient up. You got to see where that stoma is at because sometimes five or 10 pounds of weight loss or weight gain can really significantly change the contours of that abdomen and, and what we call that peristomal plane, that peristomal skin plane. So, so you kind of got to watch their weights. Um, you know, if I have a patient I haven't seen for a long time and they call me up and, oh, you know, I've been doing fine, but now suddenly I'm leaking. And usually my first question to them on the phone is, okay, how much weight have you lost or gained? And, and often that's, oh, well, yeah, I hadn't thought about that because now it has changed things enough that whatever system they were using isn't working for them now. And as Cassie pointed out, a lot of times people will lose weight with these big surgeries So even if they're marked ahead of time, and I do a lot of pre-surgical markings, you know, I always tell the patients pre-surgery, I'm basing it on your weight today in my clinic, but you're probably gonna lose weight with the surgery. And I've seen people lose 40, 50 pounds sometimes Mm -hmm. these big surgeries, especially if they have any complications. And like Cassie says, creases and wrinkles and divots, that we're not there preoperatively are now there and we have to mirror or match that peristomal skin plane just like Anne described.
3: And I think it's important that nurses for the first couple of months are measuring that stoma weekly to assess the skin, to assess the stoma, and also to look at that suture line, which we call the mucocutaneous juncture. Here at Brian we use, most surgeons will use sutures that are absorbable, but I have seen on occasion surgeons will use some that do need to be removed. But you were talking about like the clinical nursing assistants who will do pouch changes and things like that. I guess I have some bias that I would like to see nurses do those changes for at least a couple months until that person is stable and it's reliable system. It may not always be possible, but I think those are important things.
2: All right. Well, this was all very important information and I just wanted to wind up here and see what our walk nurses want to share for our audience, our listeners, any advice for them in the various settings that care for their patients.
0: Certainly the one tip of advice I'd like to offer up is that making sure The stoma is measured appropriately. It's important to have that eighth of an inch window around the stoma. You need to be able to see a little tiny bit of skin and allow for peristalsis of that stoma to be able to come through and then measuring. Particularly with loop ostomies, whether it be an ileostomy or a colostomy, it's awkward because it's oval shaped, and it's important to get that side to side, top to bottom measurement. Know how to be able to do that so the size is appropriate, and that will go a long ways towards prevention of leakage. So that—that's you know, where they I look at.
2: Measuring tools right in the box. So
0: right, yes.
2: Please use the little
0: round measuring guide that comes with the box don't use a ruler that doesn't work it's not, it's not the right size so you need to be able to use those
4: <laughs> and one thing on that too cassie is is if you have an oval shaped stoma and the measuring guide doesn't fit because it doesn't you can always take the plastic clear plastic off the back of your wafer and trace the stoma with a, with a sharpie pen and then cut that out and then you know kind of adjust your cut size You know, you can hold it up to the stoma and make sure, and then leave that for the patient to use as a template.
0: Right. And, but only
4: for the next time, because
0: they need to measure once a week for the, for a couple of months. And sometimes what I see is they have that template from day one and they're using it on week three. And it's like, no wonder we're leaking. It's way too big. So it's important to measure. Thank you for that idea. I like that. My
2: (laughs) advice to add on to you, Cassie, is on top of measuring, it's also important make sure we're assessing the stoma for the first two months or so, and uh, making sure you know right after surgery, it's that there's no ischemic issues, that it's nice and red, and it's functioning. Making sure that I have output, make sure it's red, moist, and of course, flooded, as not retracting, and so just monitoring that. And like Anne had mentioned before, monitoring that incision line, that mucocutaneous incision where the mucus and the stoma meets the skin there making sure that that's all intact and that we're not disturbing that too much either is important.
3: And My piece of advice would be to make sure that you're just using warm water to clean the skin around the stoma. The majority of the time, avoid any kind of pre-moistened towelettes such as the baby wipes because you always have to watch for anything that can cause a residue on the skin. The, the wafer, the barrier... Won't adhere to it. It may cause and increase problems with adherence and cause leakage. You always have to watch for anything that can cause the residue, such as oily soaps. You want to avoid any kind of oily soaps. I usually recommend bar soap, either dial or ivory bar soap. No gels, no shower gels. A lot of those have oils in them. Something that I'll have patients do is like soft paper towels if they can. Uh, because if they want something disposable, that's, that's a little more handy for them if they can do that. No oils, no, nothing oily. So if somebody has any kind of skin irritation, they shouldn't be using any kind of medicated ointments underneath there. There are other remedies that we will touch on at a later podcast.
4: And the last thing as a group, I think we want everyone to know that there are some resources for nurses that if they're having questions, they don't feel real confident in their their skill or knowledge. You know, how do I deal with this? There is now a web based tool through the Wound Ostomy Continence Nurses Society, so you can uh, do a search engine and look for WOCN.org, and it's called the Peristomal Skin Assessment Guide. So when you get to the WOCN Society website, you can click on Clinical Tools and Several different things come, but you're going to look for what we call PSAG, so Paragonal Skin Assessment Guide, and there is one for patients, and there is one for clinicians, and basically it's it's an algorithm, it takes you through step by step, they show pictures, you answer questions, and it kind of directs you to what you need to do to treat the problem that you see in front of you, and it's a really, really excellent tool. I know a lot of home care nurses give it to the patients as they discharge them so that patients can continue to monitor their skin. I know I give it to my patients when they're in my clinic and to family members so that they can help their their patients kind of monitor that skin and know when to reach out back to me in my clinic setting.
2: Yeah, that's a great resource. Definitely take a gander at that website too, amongst other resources that the society has. All right. Well, thank you. Once again, this was a great discussion and we hope our listeners gained a few pointers to help in your practice. We will continue to walk through the journey of ostomy care and management and provide you with resources so that you can work at the top of your scope. Please don't hesitate to reach out to the Nebraska affiliate at nebraska.wocn at gmail.com for further information about how to join our affiliate and take a peek at some of the resources that we will add onto RN Huddle on the UNMC site. Also take a look on the UNMC College of Nursing site for continuing education. We have a virtual conference in Nebraska WOCN. The registration is now open. We would love to have you there. Stay tuned as we further dive into further details of Austin e. Care education, products, troubleshooting, and more. Thank you for tuning into RN Huddle. See you next time.
1: Well, thank you so much, ladies. As always, it is always super interesting to listen to you talk about the thing that you love most, and that is taking care of wounds. And you know, you really are able to take some very complex and challenging care situations and break it down and make it pretty easy for the rest of us who may not have the experience in taking care of ostomies to really be able to feel confident about doing so. So thank you so much to our guests. Thank you so much to our co-host Renee Pollen, the All Things Wounds nurse. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to this episode of RN Huddle. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at
0: UNMC CNE. Or check out unmc.edu
2: CNE for more program information.